and I feel very strong about this, that, you know, perhaps the single most important first step to saving the planet is to go outdoors, (laughs) right? And so that like having that experience and making it part of who we are, making it part of your daily experience is I think probably one of the most important things we can do. everybody, welcome to the Internet of Nature podcast, where we explore the emerging technologies for building greener, healthier, and smarter communities. I'm your host, Nadine Khala, and this week I'm thrilled to introduce you to Dr. Robert Zarr, a board-certified pediatrician. But Dr. Zarr is not your average pediatrician. After reading the works of Richard Louvre, who will be on later this season on the Internet of Nature podcast, Dr. Zarr became fascinated by the link between nature and health, especially that of children. Of course, that children should be outdoors and in nature felt like common sense to him, but it wasn't yet part of the treatment plan he gave his patients. That all changed in 2010 when he saw Richard Louvre's keynote address to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Something clicked when Richard Louvre discussed his then latest book, Last Child in the Woods, saving our children from nature deficit disorder. Since then, Dr. Zarr has gone on to found Parks Rx America, or PRA, the country's leading organization that educates the public about the benefits of spending time outside and encourages medical professionals to prescribe nature to their patients. Robert not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. He's also a certified nature and forest therapy guide, something we discuss later in the episode. A fascinating perspective on how he's using the seemingly antithesis to nature technology to actually further his mission to get more kids outside and enjoying nature. I learned a lot from Dr. Zar, and I think you will too. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the Internet of Nature podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Um, I'm fascinated by your work because not only are you a pediatrician, but you are a pediatrician that prescribes nature to your patients. And uh, on top of that, you've actually founded an organization, PRA, Parks Rx America, to encourage other doctors to do the same. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So that's correct. I am a board certified pediatrician. I was based in Washington, D.C. for a little over 20 years. And um, I got very curious and interested in the connections between nature and human health. And that really started when I heard Rich Louvre speak at the annual meeting and conference for the American Academy of Pediatrics in 2010. And I was just really amazed about all the science that he was talking about, all the evidence that he was talking about. And it was actually the first time I've since gotten to know Rich Louvre fairly well. And, you know, he was telling me that was the first time in his, you know, tour and in talks that he was giving that he was addressing um, a very large crowd of pediatricians at an, at an annual meeting. So I think there was a little bit, a little bit of anxiety in talking to physicians, but I know that I was inspired, um, Stacey Stryer, who's a fellow pediatrician and our associate medical director for Parker X America, 
was also, it turns out, at that meeting. And I didn't know that until fairly recently. And uh, there were probably many, many people in that audience who were just uh, sort of blown away with the connections in terms of what we see in the office every day and the connection to nature deficit. And at that time, um, there was a lot of buzz still around the book, Last Child in the Woods. And I think it it really spoke to it really spoke to the kinds of things that we were seeing and and continue to see um, in clinics, hospitals, et cetera. So it was it was quite a quite a, a moment, an aha moment, I think, for many of us. Um, for many. Who, yeah. yeah. And we should we should provide a little bit of context there too. So Rich Lou, who will be coming on later on this season of the podcast. Is, the, is a journalist and best-selling author of, I think, uh, upwards of 10 books now, all around focusing this, this idea between nature and health. And I think his, his most seminal work was his 2005 bestseller, indeed, called Last Child in the Woods, which I assume that's what he was, was discussing at, at this, uh, in this keynote. And in that book, he coined this term, nature deficit disorder. And I think that I can imagine that him being a journalist and not a physician himself and calling something of this gratitude a disorder, I can I can only imagine raised quite some anxiety for him before speaking to this crowd of pediatricians. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, when, when you use the term disorder, and it definitely rings some bells in terms of attention deficit disorder, there's a lot of disorders, and mm. it medicalizes, it medicalizes something that is... Um, maybe best not medicalized, according mm. to some people. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it did serve a really important purpose. And I think it, it woke a lot of it up at that time in 2010. There were already several hundred studies, scientific, you know, published articles based on some pretty good evidence that, you know, being outdoors, living near the outdoors, um, having connection with nature, spending time in nature, does a lot of really good things for us and then also for the planet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think, I think you know, one of the things that Rich Liu said, uh, and I've heard him speak several times, and I've spoken with him actually on, on other programs and, and podcasts and such. One thing that, I, that has always stuck with me is that, you know, when, when he talks about spending time in, in nature, it leads to a, a relationship right, that we have with nature. And once we develop that relationship, just the same way we do with family and friends, we ca- we start to care in a way that we didn't maybe before. And that really changes us. And it makes us more inclined, more likely to want to, you know, protect and to create more of these spaces. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we take actions that I think are good for us and good for the planet once we once we get outdoors. So I have on our website at natureprescribed.org, you know, I have a small little section on on planetary health. And I think, and I feel very strongly about this, that, you know, perhaps the single most important first step to saving the planet is to go outdoors. (laughs) Right. And so that like having that experience and making it part of who we are, making it part of your daily experience is I think probably one of the most important things we can do. And, you know, after I heard him speak, it was really about doing something. Like, what can I do about this? And yeah. being a pediatrician, being a physician, I wanted to make this happen as my daily routine. And 
once I learned more about nature prescriptions, and at that time I was really calling them more park prescriptions because that seemed to be the terminology coming out of the U.S. National Park Service, it just made so much sense to me. And so that's really how I became very obsessed with this idea of, of you know, how to incorporate um, what I call a nature prescription into our daily routine as 18 million healthcare professionals in the U.S. see patients on a daily basis. You know, how can we do this? How can we make this part and parcel of what we do every day? So walk us through what that might look like in terms of obviously now you founded PRA, but before that, when you were prescribing nature as a pediatrician, what, what did that look like in the office? When I first you know, became aware of this you know, park prescription, which has now really, for me, become a nature prescription, I wasn't quite sure how to do it or what to do. Like, was it an open-ended thing? Was it a piece of advice? Did it need to turn into an actual prescription itself on a piece of paper? Was it to be electronic? I mean, there were so many questions that I eventually was able to get answered or find answers to. But when I first started trying to figure out how to do this, how to, how to make this work, I have to say, I think my focus was very much on identifying space. And, I, and back then, I, I was convinced that that's all we needed to do was let people know. When I say people, I actually was referring to doctors. <laughs> um, let my colleagues know where the space is and they can turn this knowledge into a prescription. As it turned out, that's not really what happens. And it's not the only thing that has to happen in order for this to be successful, I think. And so as time marched on and I gained more experience and I listened to my colleagues, and as I, when I say colleagues, not just healthcare professionals, but my colleagues in park and land management agencies, my colleagues uh, who are activists and in conservation, my partners who are landscape architects, the list goes on and on and on. I began to realize that this prescription, it could be done, but it would have to be done in a way that was very natural to use a pun there, I guess, to the work that we do as healthcare professionals and also to the patient or client there with us. And, and I think that's something I've learned um, over many years now is that if it feels right and if it's relatively easy to do, it's more likely to work, more likely yeah. to be successful. And I think that, you know, if, you know, a, your listener were to come to our website, naturepreprescribe.org, you know, what they would see, I hope, is that there's nothing more natural <laughs> you could do than to be outdoors, to write yourself a prescription, to take that to your doctor, and for your doctor to have that quick, brief, you know, physician time or doctor or healthcare professional time that visit time with you and make any other tweaks to maximize your benefit and to make it work for you. So, that's really what it came down for me. And I've also come to realize that it's about asking the right questions as well, right? So there's very limited time, you know, for the average healthcare professional, you've got maybe 15, 20 minutes to do everything. And um, a lot of what we try to do during visits is, is have a brief conversation about 
lifestyle, about routines, about willingness to make change, right? And each patient is so unique. Um, they come you know, to you with a different set of ideas and problems and history and prejudices. And so it's, that's the art of medicine, right? So, you know, and, and, and how do you kind of capitalize on that relationship that already exists and that trust that exists between a client and the healthcare professional and find a super easy way to insert a conversation that results in a prescription that is essentially a contract that serves a purpose between one visit and the next. Would you see a nature prescription having the same kind of value as, for example, making exercise or, or dietary advice as a way to kind of hold the patient accountable to doing that, to giving kind of an, a number to how often they should be going outside and where they should be going outside so that that's something you can check in on next time you see that patient? Yeah, I mean, you you basically hit it right on the head. I mean, that's exactly it. And this conversation is, is driven by, you know, I hope now that if a person who's listening to this program comes to our website can write their own, we're encouraging people right. to write their own prescriptions and take that or send that ahead of time, even if possible, so that their doctor or healthcare professional um, has a chance to see what it is that they imagine that they're comfortable doing, you know, where they feel safe and comfortable um, outside, how often they think they can do it and for how long. So this, that's exactly the approach is that the prescription has enormous flexibility in that it, it can, it, you know, we've designed this to, to have a sort of a universality to it so that anyone anywhere should be able to answer these questions um, and that any healthcare professional really anywhere in the world should understand pretty intuitively what this is about and turn those questions into a bit of a self-reflection if you're yeah. writing your own and, right, and, and to ask yourself those questions so that you can face at the end of the day, come out with something that is a contract. Yeah. And so, and, right. And so, and that's when you write something down or you agree with your trusted healthcare professional, this is the plan. It's more likely to happen, right. Yeah. Rather than doing, rather than doing it by yourself. And, and the other piece is safety, right. I mean, so we, we very much, we at, at PRA are encouraging this conversation to happen between you and your healthcare professional because there are things that your doctor knows about you, about your heart, about your metabolism, about your, you know, your physiology that probably should be taking into consideration when, when you're talking about maybe some degree of exertion. And, and even if it's not exertion, I mean, there obviously are some risks to being outdoors that are different, different than risks indoors. Um, each has its own risks. So that conversation we think is still very important to happen. And it affords an opportunity to legitimize this. And I yeah. think that's also a huge advantage that you get when you have that conversation rather than trying to do this entirely on your own. No, I agree. It's almost like every, every visit to the dentist kind of reinforces that daily practice of flossing. At least it does for me. I don't know if anyone else can relate, but it kind of offers a way to take a look at something that we have in our lifestyle or maybe have not, we should have more of that legitimizes that part of it. Just like 
flossing, just like healthy diet, just like exercising, having that dose of nature on a daily, uh, hopefully daily, if not at least weekly basis is something that's just so critical to our overall health and well-being. And I think if it were for not for the coining of nature deficit disorder or for nature prescriptions or park prescriptions coming into practice, we don't really have that opportunity to reflect indeed, as you said, on how much time we do spend outside and really look at it as a key component of a vital and, and healthy body, mind and soul. That's right. That's right. And, and I think that, I think that healthcare professionals are getting this message. They're getting it either by listening to, you know, podcasts like yours or on other media channels or on social media, they're getting the information somehow. Um, I yeah, hope some especially of them are getting these in. days. I feel like, yeah, like I, nature is definitely being mainstream more and more. I think it is. And I think, uh, you know, that every, every effort to do this is super important because it's not just about dissemination of information. It's about action. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's something that we're certainly really proud of in terms of, of our accomplishments is that it isn't just about educating because we know that education isn't enough. Right? There's got to be something to do, an action that you can do that's going to likely result in some improvement. Right. And so that's that's a, a, a key component of what we promote. And, you know, we have about five to seven or so uh, healthcare professionals to register with us as new prescribers every week. And we're up to 1,350 something at this point. And it's just so encouraging to to see that happen every week. We're constantly growing. Um, And I think there's there's, there's a thirst out there, both on the public end and on the health professional end, to do something different, to do something that's positive. I would like to think that we're very much about asset framing and, and less about deficit framing mm-hmm. and not sure how familiar you are with the culture of medicine, but it is oftentimes, you know, this feeling of very much, you know, deficit framing, right? I mean, you, you come in to see your doctor and your, you know, doctor has something that's called a problem list about you. <laughs> Literally it's called a problem list and your doctors often see patients as a, you know, a walking list of problems. And we want to change that. You know, we can't change, it's not, you know, park prescriptions or nature prescriptions is, you know, are not a panacea, but what they do provide is something to do that's positive during that visit. And I I think that's important for both the providers, um, the health professionals and the patients to have, you know, something they can do to make a difference. And I think by asking those questions about where you feel safe and comfortable, what do you like to do with whom do you like to do it? You know, how often can you do it? You're asking questions real, really efficiently here about schedules and willingness and capacity and fears and perceived, you know, all these things wrapped up into a few questions that can generate a product at the end of the day. Right. And our platform allows functionality to connect one visit to the next so in that interval of time between one visit and the next visit, there's something happening and there's a way to communicate every time that you're filling that prescription. So when the doctor sees you back in one, two or three months or six months, however much time elapses between one visit and the next, at that next visit, the doctor has a personal account. They go in, each prescription has a unique code and they can see exactly how many times it was filled, when it was filled. And that really provides a foundation for that next conversation and the one after that and the one after that. And 
So we see this never as a, as a, you know, one off, but really as a tool to incorporate in every visit. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think that's probably where, of course, the focus of Internet of Nature and of this podcast is all about exploring that intersection between where technology can be a supporting tool to advance more time in nature, reconnection to nature, better monitoring and management of nature and all the rest. Is that the platform I see as a great example of a way that technology can really support people to go outside? What is your what is your overall opinion? Maybe to start there, what is your overall opinion of technology and nature? Do you see technology as a potential threat to getting people uh, outdoors more, or do you see it potentially as a way to facilitate perhaps those first initial nature human interactions? Yeah, I mean the question of, of technology is is so key. I mean it's mm-hmm. definitely you know. Technology is a very general term. And when you speak about, you know, medical technologies, you know, it includes medications and procedures. And I mean, it goes on and on. I think when, when you know, most people hear the word technology, they, they probably think of electronics mm-hmm. <laughs> and things of that sort and, and probably even our platform. I very much believe in judicious use of technology, right? And so it's, it's picking the right tool for the right time, for the right visit, for the right patient and knowing where the value is, right? So being educated about that technology and where it kind of fits in to the things you need to get done during the day. And if you're a doctor trying to see a patient and you've got limited time, you know, you need something that works efficiently. You need something that is evidence-based. You need something that's fun, that's engaging, doesn't take a lot of effort, right? Both on the patient and the doctor side. And I think that's the kind of technology that we're trying to produce, right? I hope we've we've gotten very close to that at this point where we can say, okay, this is something that everybody can do. It's pretty simple. It's easy to get to. It's it's accessible to all. It's free as long as you've got Wi-Fi access. You don't need permission from anybody to do it. And you don't need it. You don't, it's not part of any electronic health record. And and that in, in a way is a plus mm. because yeah, it can't, it can't, right. It can be, it can be copied and pasted into any chart anywhere in the world. So as long as you have Wi-Fi, right, that's really the key. And you know about it and you're willing to incorporate that into your into your daily practice, then that's a technology that I think works. And on the other end of it, for the patients and the public, a lot of the same principles apply, right? You know, what is it that we need from this technology to reconnect us with the natural world? So I am always fearful that people are going to take their phones with them on this nature prescription and be more glued to their phone than, let's say, listening to the sounds of birds, uh, for example, right? So one of the things that I use when I'm training other physicians or healthcare professionals about this, there are a few things, I think, like these these tiny pieces of advice that I think can go a long way. For example, when writing a prescription, which really your patient mostly writes for themselves and you're there to make a few tweaks to make sure that sure. you know it's it's done as safely as possible. But one of the things that I often will ask about in addition <laughs> to the usual questions is, you know, are you planning on having earbuds in? And then I'll often just kind of insert the question of safety as well as utility, right? So being aware of your environment does impart 
an element of safety because you're more aware of your surroundings. You're probably less likely to trip if an area that maybe has more of an element of violence. So you're aware of other humans around you. That's helpful. But also for utility in terms of, of reaping those health benefits, if you're on an electronic device, you're less likely to get that maximal effect, right? So you're less likely to be absolutely to, to noticing what's around you, to noticing you know, the color or the texture of the bark on a tree. One of the, the trees that we have around you, and many kinds of trees, but we have a lot of birch trees. And you know, I, one thing I've noticed is that the older the tree, it seems, and the larger the diameter of these birch trees, the bark as it comes down toward the ground on the oldest section of the tree looks like a lot of other bark. It's not that smooth texture to it. But as your eyes move up, you notice that it looks like your typical birch tree, uh, with that very smooth texture to it. Those are the kind of things you might not notice if you're on your phone. So those are the kinds, tiny little things that, that we do sometimes that I think can make a big difference in the prescription itself. But yeah. other than that, you know, other than that, I think it's pretty self-explanatory in itself. It really should be self-explanatory, self-contained. And I think that's a feeling of comfort even in that, in that prescription itself. Hey, it's me, Nadina. Just popping in here to encourage you to take me outside. Listen to the podcast as you stroll through your local park. Take a bike ride along the river or ski down a mountain, whatever suits you. I know it's what the sponsor of today's episode would want. This podcast is brought to you by the Nature Conservancy's global coalition, Nature for Climate. The discussion around climate change can be overwhelming and honestly, downright daunting. The Nature for Climate Coalition focuses on what we can do rather than what's been lost. Its partners, including the Nature Conservancy, work together to get natural climate solutions, such as avoiding deforestation in the tropics and restoring wetlands and sustainably managing forests, implemented across the public and private sectors. Restoring nature is one of our best chances for mitigating climate change and also creating happy, healthy, and green communities for future generations. And that's exactly what we like to hear here at the Internet of Nature podcast. Find out how at natureforclimate.org. Okay, now get yourself outside and back to the show. Sure. Yeah. And there's, there's also, because we should say also for context, there's research to back this up that, you know, just going out in nature on its own and indeed not being engaged with your surroundings is going to reap less benefits than if you were to go out in nature. And there's a spectrum, I believe, called the nature connectedness spectrum, where you can kind of have varying degrees of how connected you are to the landscape with maybe the most connected being, you know, truly, really being in almost perhaps more of a forest bathing approach, being truly integrated almost into that ecosystem, using all your different senses, whether that's sound or sight and, 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 and smell and, and being able uh, uh, touching things, touching the earth, all of these things I think really can make or break how you feel coming out of time and nature. And that's not to say that, you know, putting on a podcast for example, mine or whoever, which one, and taking a walk around the neighborhood and being in a green environment is not beneficial. I think there's also a time and place for that. I think we should be wary of kind of these blanket statements of 
just being out in nature is enough. I think there's a certain amount of, of engaging that we need to do while being out in nature. But I'm also a little bit of two minds in that because at this point, I also feel like there's so few people that are perhaps aware of the benefits of just being out in nature that at this point, I'm just happy if people are outdoors. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I, I'm sure you're familiar with um, the nature pyramid. I think it's attributed to Tim Beatley um, yes. in, Virgin, in Virginia. And I, I like it a lot. And I, I was just thinking about that again, you know, last week as I was on a walk. And it has, you know, elements of intensity and, you know, frequency and, you know, access and it's all there. But one thing I, I also realized, and this really goes back to what you were just saying about that experience, is that that if you if you, for example, on the pyramid, if you go to the pinnacle, that's supposed to be like the national park that you might do once a year or, you know, this trip mm. to Yellowstone or, you know, some really remote area. Right. To, to, and, and it's supposed to connote this intensity as well. Right. I mean, like it's an intense but less frequent experience. And I'm usually the one saying, oh, my work is at the bottom of the pyramid. I'm, I'm not really on the pinnacle. I'm on the bottom because it's yeah. things that are that we need to do every day. In right. The daily dose. So and the, the daily dose of, yeah, what's your daily dose? What do you do every day? What's accessible to you? Is there a garden? Is there a tree? Is there a blade of grass? Is there air? Like, what is it that you can do? But and I guess this is probably my nature enforced therapy guide hat that I have now is that. It, it can be an incredibly intense experience just to be outside in your garden, all right? Or on that walk from school to home, you know, mm -hmm. as you pass through a park. I mean, and I think like one of the words that really resonated with me a lot when I was doing the training to become a nature and forest therapy guide is liminality, right? So it's that in-betweenness. And I think that's where, in my opinion, some of that magic happens, right? The lowering of probably the lowering of blood pressure and lower the heart rate, that feeling of calmness and stillness. I think for, for a lot of people probably happens in that in-between place. It's sort of like when you, when your eyes glaze over a little bit, right? So you're, you're not really looking far away. You're not really looking at anything that is clearly in focus. But there's this feeling of calmness that we often get when we allow our eyes to sort of glaze over. And maybe not the best analogy, but I've, I've noticed that, um, you know, when I try that myself, even it, it takes you somewhere that's in between <laughs> yeah. and, 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 may, and maybe that's it. I don't know. But, but, you know, when I try to understand this from a cognitive intellectual perspective, Maybe maybe that's the way that that we can possibly explain it. Um, but there is something special that happens, and I think that's where you're probably you know seeing the benefits. That's not to say that exertion isn't good; it's great, you know. And I'll often do both. I'll do some pretty exertive exercise type stuff when I'm outdoors, but I'll intersperse that with moments of limiting out, and yes. and. That, and that's for me. Now that that may not work for everybody, but that's the kind of reason. Those are the reasons you want to have that kind of conversation with with your patients and with your friends and family. You know, to sort of introduce them to this. Yeah, and it it makes it more accessible too, which I think is a is a is a big thing. That of course, when we talk about nature prescriptions, I think the first 
the first thought that might come into people's minds is, well, you know, that would be amazing if I lived out near a nature area or if I lived around the corner of Central Park. But, you know, if you live in a, in a pretty kind of typical neighborhood, uh, one that, you know, might even be considered as, you know, nature deficient, for example, how do you encourage those people to get outdoors? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I still very clearly remember the, you know, beginnings of the coronavirus pandemic. And I remember these conversations that I was having with, you know, my patients and their families. And I could easily sense their fear and pretty intense trepidation with even going to a park um, at that point. Right. So public space is so essential uh, when you're talking about livable cities, right? I mean, we we have to have safe, accessible, nature-rich public space. And I remember um, so many of my patients and families just scared, so scared to even open a window. And um, initially, I was also very scared. You know, we didn't know all that we know now even a few months into it, right? I mean, at the very beginning, we weren't quite clear. Yeah. Was it droplet? Was it droplet? Was it aerosolized? We didn't know. We certainly know now that it's aerosolized. But anyway, I remember having those conversations and really it comes down to those same questions that you see in our prescription. Where do you feel safe and comfortable, right? And our goal here is to get them outdoors, but work with your client. You know, if, mm-hmm. if they don't feel safe and comfortable anywhere outdoors, and that was the case for a lot of people in those early months, is there a window uh, that you can open? Is there a, you know, a balconcito, a little balcony that you can have access to? Is there maybe a patio that's part of a, you know, an apartment complex? It isn't so busy at certain times of the day. Is there an indoor plant possibly that we could get you like, what can, what can you imagine that might incorporate that? Yeah. So, you know, sun, sunlight, fresh air. I mean, these are the kinds of conversations that we had to make as our common denominator sometimes just to say, okay, okay, let's work with this. And then as time went on, people felt more and more comfortable. So you, you, you totally said it right. I mean, you know, access to nature is, is not equal. Right. It, and and there, there are a lot of inequities out there. And the same is true for other social determinants of health. Right. Not, not everybody has the kinds of things they need for them to live in a health promoting environment. Yeah. And it can be it can, it can sound you know trivial, a, a window or an indoor plant. But I think people need to understand that, you know, for a lot of people, these are very important, albeit small, but very important first steps to kind of open up that door of, of possibilities into what nature can offer. And it may seem very small, but I think that's exactly kind of what's needed to help them embark on that path of getting outdoors more. Yeah. And, you know, let's let's not forget that we humans are part of nature. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not apart from nature. And I think in the worst indoor plant you have no access to sunshine you have no access to fresh air right you do have yourself and mm-hmm. and and this ventures more into the mindfulness and meditation area of a conversation that we don't necessarily need to go but it's just i think maybe something to point out that you know we are in fact nature and putting your hand to your heart and sensing your own you know your own heartbeat your chest rising and falling with each breath can be calming for a lot of people as well, right? To, to close your eyes and to just very basic 
skills that mm-hmm. you can practice and you can teach to your clients that can do a lot for restoring a sense of, of well-being in the mm-hmm. worst of times, right? So let's not forget that we are, in fact, our closest nature. We ourselves. Absolutely. Can you tell us a story about perhaps a patient who exhibited or showed certain symptoms and how a nature prescription helped? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to um, send your listeners to our website. Once again, we have a, a story on there about Jocelyn. She, at that time, I think it was around 16 or 17, maybe. And she kept coming in to the office um, with complaints of chest pain. She had been to the emergency room several times. And we take that seriously, even at that age, right? I mean, it could be cardiac. And it could be a lot, a lot of other things as well. You know, at the end of the day, after a lot of tests were done and, and those things were the you know ruled out, you know, our, our working diagnosis was anxiety and chronic stress, really. And um, this is pre-pandemic, by the way. You know, I remember having these conversations and I, I asked her a question, you know, where do you feel safe and comfortable? What do you imagine yourself doing? Is there a place you can be out, outdoors, possibly? And she said, my dad has a hammock in his backyard. And I said, wow, okay. I, you know, these are the kinds of things that actually happen in real visits. And it's it's, it's crazy, wonderful, real, right? And I said, well, what do you see yourself? What, you know, what activity, (laughs) what could you do in that hammock? And she said, I could lie in it. And I was like, all right, lie in it. You know, and so basically she wrote her own prescription, you know, and it's just so elegantly, beautifully documented in this short film. It's about maybe seven minutes long. And she got better. You know, she actually got better. And, um, you know, she had some insight or maybe many insights. I mean, one of the things that she noticed in that hammock was that clouds move. And up until that point in her life, she never realized that clouds move. That's a pretty powerful observation, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and an yeah. insight. Yeah. And so, you know, it's one of many examples, but it's it's so beautifully sort of dramatized where you can see a transformation. And I think that, you know, when you when you take a moment to ask a question like that, it the 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 answers you get, the responses and the answers are infinitely interesting curious and positive in many, if not most cases. And it's just a, you know, I just recently did some interviews of um, colleagues and I was asking them several questions about, you know, the nature prescribing experience. And I was, and I had one question that was about, you know, how burdensome or pleasurable is the process of, of Mm, doing this? Good question. And you're right. I mean, like, because you you often hear in the in the literature that doctors don't have time, that it's a barrier for them yeah. to do things like yeah. this, right? And I was expecting them to tell me that. It turns out that of all the pr- providers that my my colleagues I interviewed, that was not mentioned. <laughs> the time was not really mentioned at all. And it turned out I I did ask them like not just how burdensome or pleasurable, but how much time on average does it take? And you know, most of them. They said they take about two to three minutes to do this. I was like, well, 
that's really efficient. And then I asked about pleasure versus burden. And most of them were on that three, four, five, being five being the most pleasurable. And I was, I was surprised and pleased myself to see that, you know, that it's become a routine and a pleasurable routine for, for the doctors. And I'm not surprised, to be honest, because our work is demanding, um, to say the least. And there's can be a lot of secondary trauma um, in the work that we do and listening to our patients' stories and seeing the suffering that goes on despite all the things that we have to help and that we try to do to help. There's a lot of suffering that still happens. And um, I think that this experience of having a brief conversation and turning it into something that our patients are willing and, and want to do to improve their health can be really sort of, you know, life affirming. One of the things that's really sticking with me from this conversation so far is the importance of asking the right questions. I think that that to me, I never really thought about it that way. I thought it kind of is you go to the office, you have certain symptoms and the doctor says, "Okay, well, try your hand at, you know, a park visit, you know, 30 minutes, uh, you know, (laughs) twice a week. And um, obviously that when you hear something like that, I think for most people that immediately feels completely unrealistic because they don't know where, they don't know how that fits into their schedule. I mean, in the same, just to bring back the flossing example again, as I think many people can relate to, flossing is just, you've got to try to, you know, fit it into something that you would otherwise do. I don't think most people at night or in the morning stand in front of their mirror and floss for three minutes. It's just kind of unrealistic. But I have this, this great trick that this dental hygienist left with me where she basically said, I just keep my floss everywhere. I have one in my car, one by my laptop, one by my TV, (laughs) one in the kitchen. And I see it all the time. And then, you know, you'll notice, oh, you're waiting for the pot of water to boil or you're watching a show or whatever it is. And then you just floss, you know, kind of interjecting in those moments. And that's really helped me. I mean, not that people are interested in my oral hygiene habits, but that is, I think it kind of brings up a similar idea that you can make it very realistic for people. And when you kind of bring it back down to practice, that's when real change happens. Yeah, that's a good point. And on the surface, you know, it, there seems to be a lot of similarity between a medication prescription and a nature prescription. They have certain things in common, right? They, they have an activity, you know, you're going to take your pill, you're going to go for a walk, um, it has a frequency, it has a duration, it has those similar components to it. But I have found that there are some serious differences. And one of the probably the most important difference between a medication prescription and a nature prescription is that the nature prescription is really driven and created and developed Mm -hmm. more by the patient than by the healthcare professional. And that's a key point because doctors tend not to be so familiar with that model. They're much more in general familiar with, I write the prescription, I decide the medication, the frequency and the dose. And we, we really, with nature prescriptions, we sort of turn everything around and say, well, you want to ask the right questions, but you got to (laughs) listen to what your patients say. And this is if they don't bring one to you already, right? So we're hoping with our, our new website and nature prescribing platform that patients will bring that to their doctor and really sort of initiate that conversation. 
But if doctors are going to initiate it, ask those right questions. And that's very different than what they're normally doing when you think about a prescription. There's some of that that happens with kids, especially, you know, we do have to ask things like, can Maria swallow a pill or do I need to give liquid? You know, so we will ask things like that. How many times do you think she can take that a day? Is it once, twice or three times a day? So we have a little bit of questioning going on. But I can say in the adult medicine world, that probably very rarely happens. And one just assumes that you can do it the way that I'm going to write it. And that's it. We don't ask you, you know, Nadina, um, you know, do you prefer amoxicillin or Cipro? You know, we don't ask you those kinds of questions. We might ask you if you have any allergies to medications, but beyond that, probably not a whole lot more. We might ask if you're on any other medications. There's a little bit of that in there but not to the extent that should be happening when you're trying to, to write and issue an actual nature prescription. Makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And actually that, that leads me to my second to last question, which is where do you see the future of this going, the future of PRA and, the, and, and more broadly, the future of parks prescriptions and nature's prescriptions? Well, I hope the future brings more of this knowledge and this practice into the mainstream. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. And I think with dissemination of information and with uh, an easy to use way to put that information and that knowledge into practice is key, is certainly the key. I think that it's probably not too distant in the future before electronic health records make nature prescriptions a standard feature of these platforms, which hospitals and doctor's offices and other healthcare professionals, you know, buy the rights essentially to use these, these vendor sold platforms so they can um, do what they need to do during office visits. I think that is going to also bring it more into the mainstream. And I think that's probably where we need to go with this so that it becomes even less of a step that we have to think of and initiate. And it's just part of our routines as healthcare professionals. For now, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier, right, that one of the reasons we built our platform the way we did is so that it is more universal, that it can be used anywhere. But I think as time goes on, there's also a certain degree of customization people want to have and they want it to look a certain way. And, and I think there's you know reasons for that and, and maybe some justification for that. I also see like more broadly, your question was about, you know, where, where do I see the future just in general for nature and health? I think that, you know, if we're going to continue with this migration into urban areas, right, we've got by 2050, we anticipate that two thirds of the world's population will be yeah. living, you know, in urban areas. And this acceleration of urbanization that's happening is going to demand of us to quickly mobilize ourselves in a way that that creates more and more accessible public space that incorporates these natural elements. So I, I imagine a future where living in a city, you can walk, you can bike easily, um, you're, you know, you're not worried about getting from one place to another. And in that, those daily activities, nature is so naturally incorporated into your life, right? This brings up questions of biophilic design. It brings up questions of how, in fact, do we redevelop and rethink our cities so that they become these 
Singaporean-like paradises, right? That you've got living walls and you have so much nature around you that maybe we won't need nature prescriptions anymore. It'll just become who we are and what we do. And I think that that is the future that I'm hoping for. I think that uh, with all the mental health benefits of being you know, in these nature-rich environments, um, all that imparts to us is something that we're always going to need because stress is just a part of our lives. You know, it's like we're never going to get rid of stress. Um, we can do things to reduce it, but I think it's it's really how we recuperate from that stress in these in this syncopated fashion in intervals during the day, even that brings us closer to health and happiness overall. Right. And so I think that's the goal that we need to be shooting for is rather than saying, oh, yes, I'm going to work these crazy hours. And, you know, at the end of the year, I'll take that one trip to Yellowstone. How do I syncopate my day with these healing experiences throughout the day? So by the end of the day, I feel better, not worse. Are you optimistic? Well, I don't think there's any other way to be. You know, I, I think that uh, being negative, I mean, it's it's part of, I mean, you know, you, you, you can't be optimistic all the time. That's not natural either. But I think that uh, moving into that rumination, those negative thoughts, uh, is a dangerous place to go. And I and I think that uh, once again, <laughs> you know, being spending time in nature, uh, as we know, uh, one, one yeah. of those treatments for yeah. rumination. So yeah. I just don't think that there's, much value in, in going down that path of pessimism. And um, it's not good for us as individuals. It's not good for us as a society. So, we, you know, we, we have a lot of the solutions. We have a lot of initiative out there. I think we need to work more together on this and uh, be creative and listen to our communities, listen to our patients, ask those right questions so that we, you know, those of us who have privilege and have the means can figure out how best to you know, for us to work together so we can find these, these, these common goals. Um, and yeah, I think, I think we can do it. Amazing. Well, Robert, I'll leave you with the final question that I ask all of my guests who come on the show. And that is what does the internet of nature mean to you? So if you're, if you're getting at the, the virtual, is this the virtual experience of nature? More than the, yeah. no, the idea, not so much, super, not, not what's known as technological nature, which indeed is experiencing nature via VR and, and tools of that kind, but more the use of technology as a tool to both re-engage people with nature and also better take care of it. Mm, the internet of nature. I, I haven't heard that term yet, so now I'm going to incorporate that to my, my language. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier as well. I, I think that the internet is a technology and it's an incredibly useful technology. But like all technology, I think there has to be a, a you know, a judicious use of it. <laughs> One of the things that that we worked very hard on while revamping our website and sort of refocusing and retooling was a lot on our on our landing, our homepage. You know, and and what is that experience supposed to be like? What are you what are you hoping to gain out of that? Right. And for us, when we were developing this, and this is Stacy, Matthew, and, and I, where we were doing this for, for many months, was really to try to create a pleasurable experience. 
That's really what it's about. An experience where there's curiosities, there's questions, there is um, a visual pleasure in looking and seeing what you see in front of you without so much clutter. <laughs> I think um, going back to our mention of, of liminality and um, elegance and focus, these are kind of the things that I think we can ask of the internet, that we can ask of our experience that is not as sensorially connected. So there, there, there is a, 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 in my opinion, at least from what I see now, um, a limitation. But once again, here, you know, I am talking about how the internet can be used as a tool to bind people in a way through these contracts or prescriptions that at the end of the day results in more connectivity yeah. with the natural world. So I think it, it's a roundabout way of saying that absolutely. I mean, the internet is an incredibly powerful tool, but I think we need to use it with that kind of a lens rather than being addicted to it, which is what I see more of and which is very worrisome. So I think understanding its utility, but also weighing those risks of being on it, especially through long intervals without what I was referring to earlier, those syncopated, those interspersed periods to heal and recuperate from the stress of being still or typing or having that, you know, that tunnel vision for hours on end. So I think that's a, that's, that's what I can say is my thoughts around the internet of nature. Use it responsibly. Um, Be aware. Be aware. Well, Robert, um, remind the listeners one more time where they can find you and PRA online. Well, you can find me walking usually every morning outside my neighborhood. But if you want to see more about the work that we do with uh, nature prescriptions and health and nature, um, please come and visit us at natureprescribed.org. You'll see our curiosities on our homepage and can enter it. If you're a provider, there's a provider portal. If you're a patient or member of the public, you can enter as a patient. And if you're anybody else, we have a portal for you too. Amazing. Beautiful. Thank you for coming on, Robert. Thanks so much, Adina. Thank you for listening to the Internet of Nature podcast. Want to learn more about the Internet of Nature? Subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter at nadinahalla.com. I'm looking forward to bringing you another great guest next week. As always, remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review if you learn something new. The best way to support us is to share this episode with a friend or a colleague. Wishing you a great week. This show is an Unbound Media production.